So Numbers uh, chapters, chapter 10 from verse 11. Okay, now we all know, I, I suppose, don't we, what can happen in our pandemic age as we try and go about our daily life. So you can go to the dentist, you can go maybe through an airport, perhaps, you go to a shop, and sometimes there will be a guy there with a device and he is ready to take uh, your temperature. Okay, I uh, don't know if it's happened to you, but you've certainly maybe seen it happen, have you? And you'll certainly have seen it happen in the news. There'll be some bloke there with some gun-looking device, and he's ready to make sure that you do not have a sky-high fever as you go through the dentist or the shop or whatever it might be. We've all seen it happen. We know that that is the reality in which we're living. Well, I wonder this. I wonder if your spiritual temperature was taken at this hour as you come into church this morning. If our spiritual health was assessed, what would be revealed? I suspect that for many of us, if we're honest, we feel as though, we feel as though we are going through something of a lull in our Christian growth at the present time. That though maybe we've, we've set off the Christian life fine, and though we are actually growing through God's ordinary means of grace, that because of our disbelief, you know, because of our disobedience, perhaps just now we feel as though we are experiencing something of a hiatus, you know, something of a cessation in our spiritual growth, in our advance towards Christ-likeness. Does that sound familiar to you, Christian friend? Well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Numbers chapter 10. Think about it for a moment. Numbers 10. Numbers 10. Where the people of Israel have been static. The people of Israel have been stationary. They have been camped at Sinai for such a long time. But where here, all of a sudden, comes time to stand. It comes time to begin again this journey with God and journey towards his promised land. So perhaps already you can feel and sense the challenge of the text to us this morning. Perhaps a people who are at a low spiritual ebb, are we? Well, to us, surely God's word says the same. Surely the challenge of the text is for us at the start of a new year to stand, to begin again, to put away our apathy, to leave all of that behind and to begin again with gusto, this journey with God headed for the promised land, headed through the year 2021, to begin again with God. Let me tell you, actually, how we're going to handle the text and how we're going to look at this this morning. So if you can look to your sheets or your computer or your phone, let me tell you what we're going to do. What we're going to do, I suppose, is we're going, they're marching through the wilderness. Let's march through this text sequentially, step by step with them. Okay? So if you look, first of all, we're going to consider from verse 11 through to verse 28. 
That's a big section of scripture. We'll look at that first of all. Then in second place, we'll look at verses 29 to 32. That's a smaller section that sits well together. And then in third place, we'll look at, surprisingly, we'll look at the end of the chapter from verse 33 to the end. And as we walk through that chapter like that, what we're going to see are three traits that should characterize your life as you journey through 2021 with God. Did everyone hear that? This morning we're going to hear, see three traits that should, three elements that should characterize your life as you journey through this year, seeking to glorify your God. Okay, so with those things set out for us, uh, we've got an idea of how we're going to approach things. Can I ask you to keep... Uh, the text in front of you. Let's consider that big section from 11 to 28. And first of all, let's consider journeying, wait for it, journeying obedience. Journeying obedience. That's the first thing this morning. Excuse me. (coughs) Right, we all know, uh, don't we, that one of the signs that we're aging, one of the signs uh, that we're getting old as when we begin to forget things. It starts off, you forget where you've put your keys, then you forget your children's names. You begin to call Ellie Rose Juliet, or you begin to call Juliet Colin. That's when you know that things are really problematic. Then you begin to forget your own name. Well, uh, I, for one, know that it can be like that with sermons, right, and sermon series. Sometimes it can get to lunchtime on a Sunday and I've forgotten uh, what had been preached earlier on that day. So despite the fact that it's not been all of, all that long since we were in this book of the Bible, despite that, perhaps we do just very briefly need to remind ourselves what we're dealing with here, don't we? So first, you take just the book this book as a whole for a second. Now, if you were here for the previous sermon series in Numbers, do you remember what we said about this book? Do you remember do we do you remember that we said that although uh the the name of this book in English is a little bit off-putting? Don't you think so? Like who wants to read a book called Numbers? I don't want to read a book called Numbers in a sense. Although that's true, some of us might want to do that. Uh, although that's true in the English Bible, do you remember we said that in the Hebrew name is entirely different. The Hebrew name for this book hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? Do you remember it's taken from the fourth word in the Hebrew in the in the book, and in Hebrew it's called "In the Wilderness." Do we remember that this book's called "In the Wilderness," and that. Bang on, right? That's entirely accurate because what is this book about? Well, it tells the story of the people of Israel and they travel through the wilderness and get the geographical locations right. They travel from Sinai, the wilderness of Sinai, Sinai Peninsula, and they travel northwards all the way to Canaan, a journey that takes how long? Because of their disobedience, they're complaining 40 days. No, 40 months? No, this is a journey. Amazing, really, isn't it? It takes a full 40 years. So there's the book, right? There's the book of numbers in the wilderness. We've got it. But I reckon question, especially if you're visiting or if you're just tuning in for the first time online, there's a question you're going to ask. Because you're going to say to me, are you not, 
Why on earth are you beginning a sermon series, man, in the middle of a chapter of the Bible, right? Like, why begin this sermon series at verse 11 of chapter 10? Let To explain it to you, can I ask everyone just to look at your sheet and look at the very bottom of your sheet and see the, the, the diagram? I am not, believe me, I'm not going to make a habit of putting a diagram in, into your sheet, but I think it really helps us here. Do you see it there? You got it? It's like the top of a castle wall, almost, isn't it? It shows us, or it shows you, that the book of Numbers is split into, so it's divided into three main sections, this book. Now, each of the sections, if you look at it, is rooted in a particular geographical location. Do you see? So you've got Sinai, big chunk in Sinai, big chunk in Kadesh, big chunk in Moab, the plains of Moab. Now, the obvious thing to say is the people of God are going to have to travel between these locations. So if you look at the diagram, you can see low points, a couple of bridge passages, can't you, a couple of travel logs, and you and I, we are going to be in one travel log, and then Kadesh. Can I ask you, what are you thinking? What do you think? You think boring. Are you maybe? You think, well, what's this? You know, how does this compute with my life? How does this relate? A travel log, and then Kadesh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, if you're thinking that, You must remember what we've said a thousand times from this pulpit. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? Now get it right. Paul does not just say that these events were written down for your instruction. So he says that, and that in itself is amazing. But Paul goes much further. He says that these events actually took place for you. These people went through these things. Why? In God's knowledge and his orchestration, they went through this stuff to set up for you an example in your life. That's an amazing reality. And it's something we should be praying through every Sunday morning as we come to church for the sermon series. Surely, surely that makes us sit up and pay heed. So we've got a bit of the background, we know the book, then we know actually what we're looking at in this sermon series. Let's get to the text, shall we? Let's get to the text. So this is how we'll do it. Uh, I will read the first couple of phrases from verse 11. You follow it through, I'll just point out one or two things, okay? This is almost summary material from verse 11, but let's just, let me just point out one or two things. So you got it, you got verse 11? So Moses, the author, says, In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day. Let's leave it there. What does that tell us? That tells us, tells you, that the people of Israel have, what's the longest camping trip you've been on? The people of Israel have been camped in the wilderness at Sinai for a full 11 months. Right? 11 months in the heat, 11 months preparing to travel. Okay? You got that? Carry on reading. So after 11 months, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle. That's got to jog your memory, doesn't it? The cloud, what, what do we know about that? 
And we know, don't we, that that there, so God's divine presence ascending, lifting up over the tent, alongside the command of Moses. How? In those silver trumpets that blasted, we know that those things together, what was that? That was the sign that the people were to go. So they see the cloud, they hear the trumpets. This is time, this is time for us to depart. Okay, so you've got 11 months and then they leave. But it's actually a question that is raised by verse 12 that we really need to think about. So look in verse 12, please. You see verse 12, and the people of Israel, what, what happened here? They set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. So here's the question I've got with that. People of, people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. Why doesn't the author Moses leave it there? They set, and they set out by stages from the wilderness. Because if you look at the text, if you look from verse 14, all the way right through to verse 28, in a sense, all that Moses does is unpack that statement, doesn't he? You know, they set out by stages, and then a huge chunk of material given over to showing and explaining how they set out by stages. So my question for Moses is my question to God. is like, why is that recorded? Why have you recorded all of the details? Do you see the answer to the question? Because this is perhaps the, the, the main point of this portion of Scripture that we're in today. This is the main theme here. What Scripture is underlining for you is that though these people are going to get it so wrong very, very soon, at this point here, these people were utterly determined to be exact in their obedience to God's Word. Do you see it? Though they're going to fail, right? Very soon in this sermon series, we're going to see them completely fall or completely fail. At this point here, no way. This point, as they start out, they are so concerned and they are utterly determined to journey, but to journey in full adherence to God's revealed will, to, to the commands of God. And if you think about it for a second, do you not see how exact they are? Do you not see how detailed this obedience is? When you think back to that previous sermon series, do you remember chapter 2 in Numbers? Do you remember it? God specified that the tribes had to, had to travel in an exact order. Do you remember? God said it is so much detail. You get into chapter 10, what do you read? They obeyed that precisely. Judah sets out. Then Issachar sets out. And all the way back, Dan takes up the rear. They obeyed. Then do you remember, remember God saying, you have to carry certain things, certain people, certain tribes, have to carry certain objects. What do you see in chapter 10? Guess what? The obedience, an exact obedience. And then God said, he specified, see the tabernacle treated with real care. Make sure that tabernacle is smack, bang, in the middle of this caravan that moves off. Guess what you see here? You see obedience. Do you see the point? Yes, these are people who are traveling with God. They are people who are, in a sense, traveling to God in the promised land. But these are people, think about it in your own life. These are people who, as they journey, they are utterly concerned to both listen to God and to obey His every command. 
Does that not take you, me, to a really unfashionable theme? (laughs) I guess if you're generous and astute, you can see the temptation that falls Christian ministers in an environment like ours in a society that is post-Christian, if you want. Do you see the temptation? Nobody knows the gospel out there. And we're so determined to show that salvation is not by effort and it's not by work. What's the temptation? The temptation is for us to underplay the need for obedience in the Christian life. You see it? We want people to understand salvation is through Christ, by grace, alone. It's not. It's not through our effort, not through our work. We're so determined to show that, that obedience is not for salvation, but flows out of salvation. We can sideline the law. We can leave it to, we can leave it over there. But hang on. Is that accurate? Is that right? What is it that Jesus himself says to us in John chapter 14? He says, if you love me, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Obedience is critical in Christian living. And so, Christian friends, you make sure you hear these two short applications. First is this. As we move into this new year in 2021, you make sure that you are listening for the marching orders of your God. You see it, don't you? More than you were doing in 2020. More than we have been doing in the past few months. Don't you and I need to simply pick up God's word and start reading it and start studying it more and listening for guidance from God about how we are to march through this new year? We listen to marching orders, the second of the short applications. Don't you and I need to be appealing to our traveling companion? You see it, don't you? God is with us through 2021. We need to appeal to God for help to walk well. Don't we need to be crying out for the Holy Spirit on our our journey every single day, crying out that God would help us to walk in step with the Spirit? But I wonder what you're thinking just now. Are you sitting there in the church or at home and you're wondering, that's so elementary. Are you telling me that the application of this point is simply read the Bible and pray to God? Is that what we're saying? And we put it back to you. But are you really doing it? I mean, as you look back on this year, 2020, was just gone before, can you as a Christian say, that is a high point in my life when I have enjoyed beautiful times of intimacy with God in prayer? Can you say it? Because you look back and you say, I have enjoyed such precious, rich, deep devotion with God and his word. Because surely that is the key to us fulfilling some of, some obedience the key to us marching well this year in a way that pleases our God. So it's journeying obedience from the people. Second thing, let's consider journeying witness. 
Because if you've got that sheet there in front of you, if you look at verse 29, this little short section 29, if you look there, what you're going to see is a short, yes, but it's kind of certainly enticing. It's almost a parenthesis, it seems. And it surrounds a, a one character that's introduced to us with a certain name. We are introduced to a man called Hobab, aren't we? Hobab, Hobab. I don't think I know any other Hobabs. Um, first of all, let's get the details of this right. So do you see who this guy is? Verse 29. Do you see? So yes, he's, he's the son of Rule, who's Jethro. It's the other name, Jethro, so the father-in-law of Moses. Fine. Do you notice what he's called, this guy? So he's called, this is actually more important than I'll seem. He's called a Midianite. So just to be slightly careful, we can think of the Midianites as a tribe, and they're not a tribe. So the Midianites were more of a federation of tribes, a group of tribes. It is more important than it seems. It will become clear, perhaps. So you've got, under the umbrella of the Midianites, you've got the Kenites and, and lots of other tribes. Okay? So we know who Hobab is. What does, what happens with Hobab? Did you pick up on it when I stumbled my way through the reading and the names? Did you pick up what happens to Hobab? Basically, this guy turns down Moses' invite, doesn't he? So Hobab is an outsider. Hobab is an alien, a stranger. Moses goes to him and says, Hey, Hobab, do you want to come with us? Come with us. Travel with us on our journey to Canaan. And what does Hobab say? Basically, verse 30, Hobab says, No, no thanks. And he prefers to stay with his own people. And he prefers to stay in his own land. Now, let me put this to you. It does not take a genius in this room or a genius watching online to work out how this story with Hobab relates to your life, Christian friend, does it? What's under the microscope here? As you and I consider Hobab, surely it is our witness and our evangelism that is brought to the fore. You know, the fact that just like Moses, as you and I journey on towards the promised land and through 2021, you and I ought to be compelling outsiders, strangers, unbelieving neighbors compelling them to come to Christ and to travel with the people of God we march forward right you see that it's about witness you see an application for for evangelism but can I flesh that out can I point you to three details in the text that actually can help us in our evangelism and witness? It's the thing we struggle with most, is it not, our evangelism and witness? There's encouragements here. Let me point you to them. Have a look down. Notice, first of all, that Moses perseveres. So can I ask you all to look at verse 31? Make sure you find verse 31. Let's get to it. You got it, verse 31? So Hobab has been invited, come to Canaan, and uh, Hobab turns that offer down flat, and he says, actually, no thanks. How does Moses deal with that? Do you see? 
Does Moses say to Hobab, right, okay, that's fine, no problems. You don't want to come, you don't want to come to amongst the people of God, that's fine. You know, each to their own, Hobab. It matters not. Does he leave it there? No. Do you see it? Moses goes back to him, almost tries to persuade Hobab. He implores Hobab and he comes to him and he actually saying, please come. Please do not leave us. Please travel with us. And I don't know about you, I find that deeply encouraging. Because you know, as well as I do, how we often fail in our witness and our evangelism. It is not just your minister, I'm sure. It is not just me who fails or seems to fail dramatically in our witness. We miss opportunities all the time. We fail to take opportunities all the time. Don't we? And then even when we when we grasp the opportunity to witness about Jesus Christ, the words come out wrong. And so often, especially, isn't it, with people we love, there seems to be a brick wall of complete rejection. There can be an awkward silence. There can be abuse. There can be ridicule. But what we see in here, Scripture, yes, of course we know there's times, there are times for you and I to turn away and to leave that person who rejects it. And there, you know, times where we don't give our pearls to swine, time to walk away. But what we learn in here, there are times when it is pleasing in God's sight, for his people to go back. There's times for us to persevere. There's times to go back to that person and to quite simply say, no, please come. Please, please. You don't understand. It is a beautiful thing to to know, to know Jesus Christ, to do as Moses does here and to return. Moses perseveres. Second thing I notice about it is that Moses can invite... Hobab into something that is truly beautiful and remarkable. Now you just look at the section again and think about the nature of the promises that Moses can make to Hobab. So if you look at verse 29, he can promise Hobab a land given by God. (laughs) Amazing promise. Same verse, Moses can promise goodness from God, if you look into verse 32, I can promise, sorry, Moses can promise Hobab that Hobab, if he comes, he will participate in some of the same goodness that God reserves for his people. Do you see the point? Like Moses is not just saying to this guy, oh, come with us, and you know what, a change of scene will do you good, man. And he's not just saying, well, who knows, but if we go up to Canaan, it might be kind of nice, might be a nice place, might be a bit of a sweet place, come on, who knows? It's not that. Moses can stand with confidence and say to this alien outsider, if you come, you come to something beautiful, you come to something utterly amazing, you come to the greatest possible, greatest imaginable reality. And I think for you, Christian friend, for me, that should be a real challenge, a rebuke almost. Because surely it's true that one of the most significant impediments to our witness is the fact that all too often we lose sight of the goodness of the good news. How do you think about witness and evangelism? 
You know, we can think about it as just us being a pain in the neck <laughs> to the people we're speaking to. We can feel really awkward. We think we're just discharging a duty. It's just that we're so, oh, we've been commanded by God, so we've kind of got to go through this. We've kind of got to do this. But this poor person I'm speaking to is just going to be a nightmare for them, and it's just going to be awkward, and they don't want to hear it. And, oh, it's awful. And, oh. Don't, you, don't you see it again? I mean, I speak to somebody about Jesus Christ. We are telling that person the greatest piece of news that person will ever hear. You know, if they won the lottery, we wouldn't have a problem running to them and say, you've won the lottery. You know, if they've been, you know, given a Ferrari for free, we'd run and tell them. We're going to tell them about eternal life with God. We're able to invite that person to the greatest spiritual reality imaginable, the everlasting life. They can know God in Christ. Moses had good news. We have better news to share. And then the, the last detail here is to note that Moses is used by God. Because now that you are in the midst of this little section with Hobab, come on, people, what do you want to know? <laughs> you know what I want to know all week? <laughs> Did he go? Because you see it, right? Do you? Like Hobab is invited to go to Canaan, an outsider. He's, he's invited and he turns it down. Moses goes back and says, please. And then the text, does it tell you? Text doesn't tell you. <laughs> so frustrating in a way, isn't it? The text does not tell you if Hobab went to the promised land or not. Get this? In Judges chapter 1. In amongst all of the names of the people who travelled up to Canaan, have a guess what you read. You read that the descendants of Ruel, Jethro, that they did ascend to Canaan. In fact, more precisely, in a number of textual variants that are viewed as being very, very reliable, in Judges chapter 1, there's one particular name that makes an appearance. And you have guessed what that name is. We are told in Judges chapter 1 that a certain Hobab, the Canaanite, the Midianite, he accepted. He heard Moses as Moses came back. And Hobab went back on that refusal. And Hobab traveled with the people of God. And he traveled on Hobab's feet. We go his descendants, rather. We'd go into Canaan. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't it? Given the rejection so many in this congregation are facing in their witness from unbelieving family and unbelieving friends, isn't it an encouragement for us to go back to seek to tell them anew the goodness of Jesus Christ? Do we not have to do what Moses did as we journey on? Do we not have to go back and tell the outsider, please come with us. Please come to Christ. Please travel with the people of God as we journey forth to a heavenly land flowing with milk and honey. So we see uh, journeying obedience. We see journeying witness. Last thing we see here in that last section, the last section, we see journeying faith. You got it? Journeying faith. And uh, let me see this. 
This is the moment. You got it? Let me rephrase that. This is the moment. We've studied a lot in the book of Numbers, and it's been preparatory. Ten chapters of preparation. And even the section that we just covered there was a summary section that's kind of looking forward. And it is only actually when you get into verse 33 that at last, at last, the cloud lifts, the trumpet sound, and it's time for the people to stand up and to get back to this journey with God and to depart for Canaan, the promised land. Do you know what we can focus on? Because I love it so much. We could focus on the divine protection of the people. Because take yourself there. <coughs> they depart in what is May time. June. May, June. Okay? Now imagine that. Okay? May, June, the Middle East. Imagine heat. Wow. And the humidity. The sun burning down. Think about it. They've got young kids that are trying to look after in this heat or their elderly parents and they're all carrying so much stuff as they sit and they've got to wait for the tribe in front of them to go. And, oh, can you, what do you think it would be like traveling like that this burning and scorching heat? It would be difficult. It would be misery. It would be but for the beautiful detail in verse 34, the cloud moves. That yes, it is still in front of the people as they travel, but we're also told in verse 34 that now the cloud comes over the people by day. If you've ever been in a scorching heat, isn't that a beautiful thing? God, the creator God, is so merciful that he provided shade. He provided protection and cover and shelter for his people as they journeyed. And we could focus on that, but actually the emphasis on the text is more on the leadership that God provides. And I wonder if anyone in the room got it. I really do. Uh, You can maybe tell me later or not whether you got it. Did anyone notice what else it moves? Have a look here. Do you see in verse 33? The cloud moves, but the ark itself, the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant, it moves. That Instead of being now carried in the center of this caravan, the ark is brought forward and the ark is carried out in front. Do, do you see, do you follow this symbol of divine, of God's leadership out in front? The ark, the footstool of God, the throne of this great divine warrior king. It goes before the people of God. It goes before to conquer their enemies, to conquer the land, to lead them into the promised land. Do you notice how Moses is so excited by this? In verse 35, there's excitement, there's faith. He sees the ark go ahead, and Moses utters this great phenomenal battle cry. He says, arise, Lord, rise, go before us, conquer our enemies, take this land, lead us into the promised land of Canaan. 
And I close and say to you, Christian friend, I long for you to leave this place safe in the knowledge that the same thing has happened (laughs) for us and the same thing has happened for you. You know your wretchedness. Such is our sin, our wretchedness, our iniquity, that if our feet were ever to to make the promised land, if we were to ever inherit a spiritual Canaan, you know what had to happen? We needed a divine warrior king to, to work on our behalf, to go ahead of us, to conquer our enemies of sin and Satan, to lead us to secure passage to the promised land. And Christian friend, what do you know to be true? Our Lord Jesus Christ has done it. He has done it all for us. Secured it for his people, for his church. Indeed, what do we read later on in the Bible? Matthew chapter 26, in Gethsemane, enter Gethsemane. How do you think of Gethsemane? Think of it as Christ there going through trauma as he faces the, the prospect of the cross and our enemies. We think of it, the Lord Jesus Christ brought low, spiritually, physically low, sweating as he considers what lies ahead, pleading with his father, if this cup can be taken from me, the trauma brought low, but there's a point in Gethsemane, it changes. Matthew chapter 26, there's a point where the Lord Jesus Christ, he stands. And that says he utters a similar battle cry to the one that Moses declares at this point in Gethsemane. Face with your enemies, Jesus Christ says, stand, rise, let us arise, let us depart. And the Lord Jesus Christ, our divine warrior king, he goes ahead of us there. He goes to the cross. He takes on our enemies. He destroys sin and Satan. And there, having lived righteously, he secures passage for his people into the eternal promised land of God. And so I guess there is but one task remaining this morning. I have to appeal to you, Hobab. Is that you? Are you, as it stands, an outsider? Are you, in actual fact, just watching the people of God as they journey forth with him? Do you look at that from the outside because of your unbelief? Then as Moses does here, I appeal to you this morning. Friend, turn from that. Turn from your unbelief, your rebellion against God, and turn to the precious Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. I have to say, the land of Canaan is sweet. You have to know that the salvation of the Lord is good. The yoke is easy, the burden light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We even this morning come to Jesus Christ and travel with us, the people of God, as we journey ever forth through here.
to heaven above. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious Father God, we thank you for the great encouragement of that uh, encounter that Moses has with Hobab. We thank you that it does appear as though he decides to journey forth. We thank you for the record of his uh, descendants going ahead. Lord God, we do pray for those who are uh, listening on at this very moment, who stand on the outside of your covenant people. And we do pray, Lord God, that you would have mercy on them. And we pray that you would shower them in grace, that you would take them to Jesus Christ, that you would show them that what was accomplished at the cross of Calvary was sufficient for for our salvation. And we do pray that for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.